0: one second, I'm trying to move your your uh There we go. Okay, cool.
1: Don't move my cheese. That's <laughs> on, that's a management lesson we've all learned now.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh boy.
1: Did you ever read that book?
0: Um, I, I own that book.
1: <laughs> Was it, so I, I think, uh, somewhere around 87% of all copies of Who Moved My Cheese were given to someone by someone else.
0: <laughs> um, Are you in the
1: 87% or in the 13?
0: I don't know. I think I might be in the 13%. <laughs>
1: so I don't know
0: what that says about me a person, but. Yeah.
1: Always exceeding expectations. <laughs>
0: I'll dig. Yeah. Yeah. Or something.
1: (laughs) All right. So this was a good intro. We're just going to start the episode because we're not going to beat that as a charismatic opening. Okay. (laughs) And plus we rehearsed it for like four days straight. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So uh, this is going to be the first episode released with the two of us after, after last week's awkward botch by me. So I'm going to, yeah, exactly. So first things first, uh, let's do a proper introduction from here forward. We're going to call this season two, at least season two of Sean's, uh, uh, rain on the Ruby on rails podcast. Uh, this is season two, episode one and for season two, uh, Kyle Daigle will be joining me as co-host, which I'm thrilled about. Hey Kyle. Hey. Introduce yourself, sir.
0: Hey, so uh, my name is Kyle Daigle. I'm a software developer at GitHub. Uh, I've been doing Ruby on Rails for a fair amount of time now, and I live in Connecticut with my wife and son.
1: You embarrass your neighbors with your productivity regularly? (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) my neighbors comment on why my office lights are on so late.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, and and why you're doing such an effective job, like, uh hiring services to do things to your yard and whatnot.
0: Hey, what can I say, you know? <laughs> I know I know where my skills stop.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, a quick overview of why uh why a co host for season two. So season one of of my period on the show was all about having guests. And it was great. I think I did about forty uh forty five episodes or so. Maybe about thirty eight different people and it was awesome I, I met Tons of interesting people had tons of good conversations, uh, and I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, the parts that I didn't enjoy were scheduling it every week, which was, uh, uh, a little challenging sometimes. And I think I also didn't enjoy that. It was difficult to go into detail on topics sort of week to week to week. Like every week was a bit like Groundhog Day, right? Starting over. And, uh, so this year's is, is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be easier to schedule though. Kyle and I have not made that obvious in the first
0: <laughs> week or two.
1: And I hope that we can go deeper on topics and talk a little bit more about current events, which I think is interesting, which was a little harder to do in the, uh, interview format. So there we are. The, uh, the elephant in the room is, is last episode. So it's, it's not, <laughs> I don't have it, to, uh, but it, I went into a big spiel at the beginning of our first, uh, episode about how if it didn't get released, it was because Kyle was lousy <laughs> because, uh, at least twice, maybe three times before there was an episode that didn't get released because there was something awkward that happened with the guest. Usually that would have made them look not good. And, uh, I didn't release those episodes and never really addressed why with the, uh, <laughs> with the guest. And then, uh, <laughs> and then last week we uh, recorded episode one of season two and then I didn't release it.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so when I was looking at Twitter and just like, Oh, I wonder when the episode's coming out. And then it never really came out. I got really nervous. <laughs>
1: yeah. So, so we, so Kyle, we've got to talk about something,
0: <laughs> oh. <Uh-oh. laughs> you know,
1: I totally screwed it up. So I, I like the audio was destroyed like was totally garbled by uh, a mistake that I made in the recording. And yeah, exactly. But I've decided that I think that that was, uh, that was for the best because you were great last episode. I was not on my, my a game. So, so (laughs) we can just chuck that one, frankly. And, uh, you know, redo. Okay, it's
0: a good warm-up episode.
1: I think that that's probably better, anyhow. Like you don't have yeah. your you don't have your dress rehearsal. You know, performed live in front of your audience. So, exactly. Neither should we. Okay, so uh, uh, we're going to try out this format, which is we assembled a handful of topics for for the week, uh, the basic format will be handful of news, uh, items or things that we ran across this week that may not be timely to the rest of the world, but they were timely to us for whatever reason. And then hopefully if we contribute to anything open source related or even, even similar to that, then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about our contributions at the end. So, okay, we've got what, four, four topics. I think that we, uh, maybe five, that we made note of during the week. What do you want to start with?
0: Um, so I'd like to start with the Adam 1.0, get the buzz marketing out of the way.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I, well, I agree. I actually had moved that to the top of the list after I set, I pasted it into Slack. Awesome. Uh, so let's talk Adam. Now you're, you work at GitHub, so I feel like you're, you're in a unique position to talk about it. Um,
0: Yeah. So disclaimer, I have nothing to do with Adam, except for the fact that my employer also employs the people who work on Adam. So I don't uh, personally work on it at all.
1: I don't know Um, if that's a disclaimer or like a (laughs) non-disclaimer.
0: I don't know. It's kind of both depending on what you're worried about. (laughs) Yeah, right. But, uh... I have been using it for uh, a very long time, longer than it's been uh, publicly released. So I am a, I am an avid user of it at least. You're a hipster, avid user of Adam. Yeah. I, I knew about it before you did. so <laughs> I'm just saying.
1: I've used it since the beginning. So let's talk about, for for those that don't use Adam, uh, give the, give the sort of once over description of what it is.
0: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, um. I I highly recommend, actually, uh, you watch a video uh, that uh, defunct Chris Wonstroth, the CEO of GitHub, uh, give a talk at CodeConf, which was a GitHub-sponsored conference in Nashville a week ago. Um, He does a really good explanation about why he wanted to build it and then got people uh, to work on it as GitHub uh, grew. But the main idea was that there was Emacs, there was Vim, and, um, but there was nothing really that used JavaScript to truly you know, drive its engine. Uh, JavaScript seems to be like the common denominator of languages nowadays. So he wanted something that everyone could really hop into and not have to learn like Vim script or some sort of esoteric language. And the other thing that's really big is um, open source. So Adam is an open source uh, text editor that is based on JavaScript and CSS. Um, and so, if you do anything on the web, it's pretty simple to you know sort of massage an existing uh, package or a sort you know piece of source code within Atom itself to do what you want instead of having to learn a uh, you know whole another quasi language to to fuss with your text editor. Um, and so it's uh, it's been going on for I think about a year now in the public sphere, and then uh, just. Uh, A week ago or so, uh, GitHub announced Atom 1.0, which was a big, uh, you know, sort of stabilization effort of the API. So if you have any interest at all in in using Atom, you know, on Windows, Linux, Mac, and and you want to make your text editor work the way you want without having to learn a language that you potentially do not know, uh, it's definitely a a great project to jump onto.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. So I've used Atom since... I think I switched, uh, to full time to Adam, I don't know, within a month of when it came out, maybe even Mm -hmm. less, maybe two weeks. And my reason is really straightforward, which is that, uh, well, I think it's, it's twofold. One, uh, not using an open source editor seems totally off to me. So if there's an open source alternative, uh, and there are obviously then I'm going for it. And the second reason I think you sort of alluded to, but didn't say directly, which is that. I find the, let's call it the Vim Emacs options to be kind of hostile. And while I like, I kind of learned Vim well enough that I could deal, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I ever became exactly a a disciple or anything, but I was fine at it. But when I looked at other people joining the programming community and then looked at sort of the Vim on ramping experience, it just, it just felt to me like it was almost intentionally harsh. Um, and it just didn't seem like the kind of thing that I would want my community to offer as the sort of starting experience for anyone that's going to have to type text. Um, so, you know, the combination of, I always support open source, give or take, and, you know, I, I like for the community to be welcoming and I don't like for the tools that everyone uses to be so, you know, hostile. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but I think Vim's kind of hostile. Um, so, so, you know, the combination of those two things made Adam like an obvious thing to get behind, you know, plus, plus I kind of like,
0: yeah, I, I mean, I've never really given Vim it's, its fair shot. Um, I think that there's a lot to Vim that I think makes it extremely powerful. And if you're, uh, you know, your brain is willing to acquiesce to its, you know, command structure, I think it is still very powerful, but I think. What makes Atom interesting is just, you know, because it's open source, there's so many projects that get created either using Atom or Electron, which is like the shell, the application shell of Atom. Now that, you know, Atom is really changing in ways that I don't think any of the people who worked on Atom were really quite, you know, prepared for when it was released, like in a really good way. Um, And so it's been fun just as a user. And for me, I mean, I like to tweak my text editor to make things a little bit easier, but I'm pr- I'm a pretty bare bones person. You know, I'm not a heavy, heavy customizer of B- my text. editor. You
1: don't mean BB um, edit though. I assume.
0: No, <laughs> <That's>, no, it's going to throw
1: a whole monkey wrench in this discussion. <laughs>
0: I just I really I really enjoy when I can sit down with a colleague and just like immediately start typing in their editor without like ridiculously crazy things happening or like having to be like oh yeah don't press this or oh I overrode this obvious shortcut to do this esoteric thing or whatever um I mean, that's a pain in the butt, and so it's pretty cool now that you know a lot of GitHubers use Atom. Uh, even people who are pretty heavy Vim users just you know moved over. You you know build their updates and packages uh, in JavaScript now, and then use Vim mode to still sort of get the the juice uh, that they can't quite give up. But it's 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 been cool that you know now it's sort of growing on its own. It's got a pretty big community behind it, and I've been fussing with a couple of packages, and it's surprisingly easy to get into because, you know, we all write a fair amount of JavaScript or the majority of the stuff's in CoffeeScript right now, uh, on Atom. So
1: is it, is it going to stay that way? Have they made a public comment about that?
0: Um, I don't know. Um, I do not know. and I don't want to misspeak. I'm pretty sure that, um, you can use, um, Babel, to, yeah, sure. I think, you know, make some, uh, juice and not have to go straight up copy script land, but it's a little bit outside of my, uh, knowledge base to say yay or nay.
1: It's really, um, so sort of as a consistent user through the entire period, I've been shocked at how quickly things have moved with Adam. Like it's moved quick. Yeah. Things have progressed at a pretty even clip the whole way, you know, from the initial, I'm not sure it was called beta or alpha release through one Oh, um, it had to feel great to be part of that team, right? Because, because it—I it, mean—I don't know what their expectations were for it, but uh, geez, it seems like whatever their expectations were for Adam's success, they, they've been reached. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I
0: think that they've they've really been uh, able to harness the power of the community. Yeah, there's like community members that know a very specific subset of, you know, how to make Chromium faster or how to do this rendering faster or whatever. And then this community member will come in and just be like, here you go. I made it twice as fast as it was, you know, (laughs) in comparison to having to, you know, do all that little stuff on, on your own. Um, there's a really interesting story actually about like the autocomplete mechanism because like GitHub had, uh, or Adam had an autocomplete mechanism in it, but it wasn't very good. And so like the community sort of like, was like, oh, well, we're going to make it obviously better. You know, it's just going to be faster. You're not going to have to like do this crazy key keyboard shortcut to get it to show up. And, um, and it's going to find the methods that you're actually looking for and not kind of this like, okay thing. It's called uh, autocomplete plus. And so Autocomplete Plus actually is now, like, merged back into the core of Atom. And like, little things like that where, you know, someone who cares very, you know, very specifically about one thing um, or a group of people can go in and, you know, make a big change and then actually get it, you know, merged in or potentially just be a go-to package that never actually gets, you know, connected back into the base. But that's one less thing that the very small, uh, you know, Atom team at GitHub has to deal with
1: Auto- autocomplete plus was a huge win i think maybe this oh, yeah. aside from performance improvements which i want to talk about a little bit more in a second i think that that was the single biggest sort of impact to my daily use of that adam was was that uh that package being uh i think i used it before it was introduced back into the core but that package existing and then coming back into the core
0: yeah i think it also kind of started to show Um, you know, early users, like this is an IDE, like even though it's not like, or it can be an IDE, I should say, like it it doesn't have to be, but it has those hooks. Whereas I think when it first came out, it was kind of like below sublime and features, but above like text edit, you know? Yeah, I think (laughs) that's fair. I think that Auto- autocomplete was like, no, 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 look what you can do. And I think it spawned a bunch of, you know, cool new packages too.
1: Yeah. I think that the, and this will sound a, a little bit critical, but I think the big question for Adam that I hear people ask that are, uh, that aren't huge fans, but I would also ask it is, you know, when's the performance story going to be great? It's sure. gotten so much better. Cause at first I think it was like maybe bad and and yeah. now i'd say it's okay. Yeah. Uh, i don't know better than okay, you know, I, good would be a stretch to me. Uh, yeah. but o- okay, like i think file launch or opening is slow. uh large files it really has some trouble with. uh well, it doesn't even open really large files, but even right. kind of medium-sized files it has some trouble with. and i know that they've done a ton to improve rendering performance. so it does make me wonder like, you know, what is the ceiling, um, given the current state of JavaScript and Chromium and kind of laptop performance and like how close to that ceiling are we? And you know, how, how much are we just gonna have to wait for the sort of the, the physical limitations to lift and how much is there left to do? I, and I really don't know.
0: Yeah. I think that it's a uh, kind of a, I mean, the good news is that because Atom is ultimately built on top of Chromium, you know, which is like the engine that runs Chrome, uh, you're going to get a lot of improvements for free. And it's in Google's best interest, I think, to continue to improve Chromium and all the interesting use cases that come from Chromium that aren't just browsers. Mm -hmm. Because optimizing JavaScript for a client app, you know, in your browser is probably a completely different ballgame than a text editor just because of the way, like, you know, that, that document that you're looking at has a, a DOM to it. You know, it's got elements on it. And and so it's a whole different ballgame. And I think that, you know, the cool thing for Atom is that regardless of what the Atom team does, um, they're still going to be able to take advantage of updates to, um, you know, Node, to Chromium, to anything, you know, that's going to make it faster uh, that has a much wider swath of the community in comparison to just, you know, adam the text editor because i think it, if it was just adam the text editor maybe with some sort of custom javascript engine or something like that then you're definitely um you know up a creek without a paddle it would take a lot of community effort or you know corporate sponsorship i guess to to get enough uh get enough momentum to make those deep deep changes but because it's on chromium i think the i think the future is bright yeah shades. shades. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, and for me, Hey, I don't,
1: I think okay is, is about good enough for me right now. Like, in other words, like before I was supporting Adam because I thought that it was the right thing for the community. Like I, I thought the world was better if we, if we had Adam and a good Adam Mm -hmm. one Oh, so I was going to use it just, just, you know, to sort of, uh, you know, vote with my usage, I suppose. But now that's not the case now. I just like it. And you know, the, the one, The the one issue I'd say is I wish the performance was a bit better, but not so much so that I would switch back to, you know, name your similar thing. I guess Sublime Text would be the most similar now. Yeah. And and I think that the the thing that maybe rankles some people is that Sublime Text is super fast. It just is. Right. You know, and I don't really know all that much about the details of how uh, it's built, uh, but, uh, oh man, fast. So you know, hey, we'll, we'll see. But if I, uh, if someone's listening, that and I assume many people that listen have not used Adam, uh, you should give it a shot. It's I think good for good for the world that it exists, I and mean, it's a good, especially as of 1.0, things stabilizing and being fast enough to be okay. It's uh, yeah, it's a and good even
0: if you know, even if you just want to like, give it a look for, um, I just think it's really cool to uh, like make your text editor to do something that's cool or interesting to you. You know, in, 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 without having to learn a ton of new things to do that. Um, you know, if you write JavaScript or you write CoffeeScript, then, you know, you'll be able to dive in and make a change. Or if you're a designer, I think that's like the really cool thing. Yeah. In, CSS, right. And CSS is your thing. Like you can change significant <laughs> parts of how your, your editor looks or feels um, without even touching any JavaScript. So I, I think it's great. I think it's uh, worth checking out, even if you're not interested in, uh, changing your editor, you know, just as a sort of new thing to sort of hack on, um, Adam.io is, uh, the site and you can go check it out. It's pretty, it's pretty neat. It's coming, come a long way, uh, very quickly. So worth, worth checking out, I think. Cool. All
1: right. Let's, let's, uh, let's take a quick step aside and, and talk about this format. I think this works. This whole, like pick three topics and go deep on them. It's working for me. How yes, I agree. <laughs> All right, back to, back to the
0: show. I, I concur. <laughs> <laughs> back
1: to the show. Okay, you picked Adam 10 for number one. Uh, I'll pick number two, if you don't mind. I'm going to go RSpec 33 uh, three. So RSpec 33 was released in the last two weeks or so. I think I've got the uh, I've got the announcement up here somewhere. It was on June twelfth. Okay, so like three or four weeks ago, uh, three weeks ago, I guess. So three, three was released and I, I found it to be an amazing release. Now, do you use RSpec spec day to day? I don't. Hmm. Okay. Th- that's either going to make this conversation more or less interesting.
0: <laughs> no, it's going to be, I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, I have used RSpec spec when I used to um, consult a fair bit. Um, so I'm very familiar with it using it day. but right now it, most of my tests are in a mini test.
1: Gotcha. So you yeah, know, I'm not religious by any stretch on this, but I I use RSpec when I choose, and I you know I don't mind using something else. Uh, I don't even mind using MiniTest if someone else chose, but but if I choose, I use spec. And one of the reasons is I just love the guy. I mean, I don't know him, but I love the work that the guy does that maintains it. Uh, Myron Marston, do you know him? I do not. He so he, he maintains spec and there's a pretty decent sized team that. uh, contributes to our spec. So obviously it's not just him. I think that they, so yeah, they said that there are 200 separate pull requests from 50 or just under 50 contributors for three, three alone. So it's a, you know, big project with lots of help, but he does a huge amount of the work and he is really good, like committed to semantic versioning. Um, which I, I like a lot, uh, uh, focus sort of on a, on a combination of new features and doing a really good job of sort of, I don't know, stewarding the framework in general. But anyway, so three, I, I, I don't, even though I use RSpec, I, I don't like pay attention to what's being committed every day. Like I do some projects that I'm more deeply into. I just sort of use it. Right. So in my email box or not email box, Twitter feed, I suppose I see Rspec33 three, three was released and, you know, given that I use it every day, I opened it up and took a look at the changes and it was like the most bang up release I could imagine. And I have gotten daily benefit out of the features every single day since it came out, which is cool for such a mature project to have like that many notable changes, you know, this far into its existence. So shall I pitch you on the big ones? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So I don't. many tests may have some of these, but you can tell me. Uh, so one thing that they added was an only failures option. So let's say you run your entire test suite and it has ten failures. Then after that, you can run, uh, you know, rspec a dash dash only dash failures uh, as an option, and it will only rerun the set of. Uh, the set of specs that failed. So if let's say you had 10 failures, right? Uh, And you make a change and you want to see how that change, you know, addressed some of the failures from the last run and you run it, it will only run those 10. And then, you know, you'll see fixed one out of the 10 or whatever and and so on and so forth. So the next time you run dash dash only failures, it'll run just the nine and, you know, so on until you're done. Um, Super, super useful feature. Like I use it all the time now. Basically, my workflow, if I'm if I'm like working on something big, is I make all the changes, do you know, run the test locally on the the file that I'm working on, run my entire test suite. If anything fails, or if I'm like doing a merge and something fails or whatever, then from there forward, I run only failures until I get to zero. It's awesome, like super great workflow. Is is do there you some find
0: yourself? Do you find yourself ever like? running, you know, running only failures, so you get the 10 failures, then you run them, and you, you know, go down to 8, and then 5, and then 0, and then, like, and then when you run again, do you find that there's, like, more failures? Or do you find that, like, you never introduce more failures while trying to, like, whittle down your list of <laughs> initial failures?
1: Well, you know, never is strong. It, <laughs> it, if it's possible to have jacked something up before, I've done it. So, like, yeah, yes, I, but I don't know, maybe one out of Twenty-five times that would happen, you know. So, interesting. Uh, like clearly worth it. If I was to compare going the only failures option versus, you know, running the whole, the whole thing, I guess again and again. Oh, I, I saved. I, I bet I saved like an hour a week or something.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Uh, which is like that's a lot. Yeah. Uh
0: so do you use guard or something to run this or do you just do it strictly by the command line?
1: I do not use guard. I have hmm. I, I guard is on a list of things this would be a fun list to to discuss someday, but it's on the list of things that I have tried many times and never stuck to. Like like running at five in the morning <laughs> running at five in the morning or guard have something in common. Um, yeah.
0: so for people who haven't used guard, what, how would you describe guard? I guess.
1: Yeah. Guard like spies on your file system. And if it sees a change, it reruns the, or not reruns. It runs the specs in the like directory corresponding to the file that you changed. Yeah. Basically, and then you know has that that's like the default feature set, and then of course does a million other things related to easy spec running. If you want it to,
0: yeah, yeah. Did I get that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I I, in in my day to day, I generally am running like a test at a time. (laughs) Um,
1: Right. Yeah, me too. uh,
0: You know, my test runs super slow, and so. It's, uh, it's not really tenable to, you know, even run like an entire file at times, which isn't great, but you said that like a, is that like a point of
1: pride that you run your test slow or it it sounded to me like, 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 you know, I cook slow. I cook my pork slow.
0: No, it's like feigned defense, you know, where it's <laughs> where I am like it's kind of slow. I know that's bad, but it's what it is, what it is right now. Right. And so most of the time it's you know relying on CI to catch the bigger failures. And so um, sometimes I'll, I'll use Guard and I'll focus on like a test or a subset of tests that I think are related to what I'm working on. Um, but again, that's not always uh, excellent. So this is this is a pretty interesting feature. I do not know if this is something that's baked with Mini tests. I've never used it but that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. So right. um, this is, this is pretty cool. Me- one, one meta note that we've talked about the only failures option on, uh, you know, this R spec three, three, this is a really good change log. Like this blog post.
1: Oh, it's, inc- this is Mike Myron this is Marcin incredible. at his best. This is how he does things. Like every communication is like this. It's great.
0: Yeah. It's really, it's really great because it's, it's, uh, like the technical writing usually either spends way too much time talking about how things used to work, uh, you know, or uh, way too little time talking about why you should care. <laughs> like this thing happened. we Now you can use this thing. And like they just, you know, suppose you know exactly how valuable that is. But it's pretty neat that a lot of these, you know, have a, a very clear either this is the technical reason we added this or, you know it used to work like this. Now it works like that. And so let us show you why that is valuable. That's, this is, this is pretty excellent. So yeah. It's definitely he, worth taking a look, even if you don't use our spec, just to get an idea of how to write a public, uh, change log, I think.
1: Yeah, totally agree. Like, I think the first example in the changes, and this is going to be my second feature. I like a lot, uh, is a great example of the writing you're talking about. So the way that he describes the changes, unique IDs for every example and example group, who says, historically, our spec examples have been identified primi- primarily by file location, and then he gives an example. So, I have had, I, I have this issue that he's describing all the time, which is I have a shared set of examples, like, you know, mm-hmm. examples for uh, polymorphic type or duct type, you know, uh, X. Mm-hmm. And then I include those into the spec and then, you know, anything that has that behavior, that has, like, the, the module mixed in, then we'll get like a bunch of tests that tested it It, you know, behaves like things that have that module should behave, which is great. I think that's like a, a, I really like that approach to, to testing features that are composed in, but it totally screwed up your ability to run one test at a time or not one test at a time, but a specific test because, you know, then when it, when it thought line 23 or when it looked up line 23, it would look it up in the context of the expanded, um, Spec, including the examples that you you know included in, so the feature that they added was to like ID the sequentially the examples, so you could say like the second, you know, you can read the blog post for the details here, but the the second spec in the first group. Oh man, is that a great feature? Like such a, you know, you know that the people that are working on our spec use our spec because of this feature. Cause it's yeah. the sort of thing that would be hard to describe as being important until you need it day to day. And then it's like super important. So in mini tests, I do not believe has this because I've, I've chatted with someone else about it.
0: Yeah, no, usually it's either, you know, uh, by test name, um, or whatever, but yeah, no, this, this isn't, uh, applicable for us. Yeah.
1: All right. So the the last one that, and you can read the blog post for like the 10 features that he outlines, but the, the third one that I wanted to mention that I love, cause I don't think that we see enough of this sort of feature in projects is, is the bisect feature. So if you search mm-hmm. for bisect, you'll see it. So here's the deal. You've got a, uh, you run your whole suite of tests. You see an error in that depends on ordering, right? So like sometimes the a test fails, sometimes it doesn't. It depends on the, the order that the tests were run. And I don't know about you, but when that happens, it is, it is, a, <laughs> it is a dark moment. Yeah. You know, Cause you're like, Oh my God, I had plans for the afternoon and now I've got to hunt down where the hell this thing is failing. So, uh, what bisect does, you just pass dash dash bisect and it, narrows down the order into like a minimal reproduction case to say, okay, here is, uh, you know, here is an order that fails, uh, and it, and it does it by like recursively going through the, uh, uh, different orders to find ones that fail in a, in a, you know, the most efficient way that that it can do it. What a great feature.
0: Yeah, no, that is great. I like that a lot.
1: And I, I don't I, like. I feel like I, I, I feel like computers are. This is like using computers for what they're good for, which is just right. being, you know, able to do ridiculous amounts of work. The same, you know, with the same degree of ease as a little bit of work. And know, uh, I don't think enough. Pro- like I don't think enough of my projects do something like this, where I'm like, okay, what is a computer good at? What can I like? What would sound ridiculous to do unless you had the ability to just unleash the hounds on something? And, right. uh, anyways, love it, love the future, awesome. Now, since it came out, I've only had one instance of an ordering bug, which is funny. Given that it- <laughs>
0: well, that's a good thing. I'm upset. <laughs> I'm like, I'm,
1: this is my vaccine,
0: <laughs> I guess. <laughs> exactly against ordering. Prepared bugs. for it, it, doesn't happen. Yep.
1: Yeah. <laughs> So anyways, okay, uh, I'll, I'll close off this one by saying, uh, uh, that RSpec spec is, is alive and well, and three, three, I think is an awesome release. And I'm going to echo what Kyle said, which is if, if nothing else, even if you're like the, the most devoted mini test user ever, check out this, uh, our spec three, three has been released blog post for how to do it, <laughs> right? This is how to do it all right before the next uh, topic we should do our sponsor for today yep mm-hmm. now it's one of the two sponsors from last week <laughs> the, the the sponsors that will never hear the light of day this <laughs> is funny to me okay so sponsor for today is is code our uh, most frequent sponsor on the show and i've got a good code story that relates to our next topic uh coincidentally Okay, CodeShip. So CodeShip is a hosted continuous delivery service focusing on speed, security, and customizability. You can set up uh, your CI uh, workflow with CodeShip in a matter of seconds and automatically deploy when your tests have passed. CodeShip supports GitHub and uh, Bitbucket. Am I allowed to say that now that you're on the show? Oh, definitely. Okay. So it supports both. <laughs> uh, you can get started with CodeShip's free plan today. Uh, and if you visit CodeShip.com slash 5x5Ruby, you'll get 20% off any plan for the next three months. Uh, again, 5x5Ruby is both the uh, code and the uh, path off of CodeShip.com to uh, to get that deal. Uh, so want to hear my CodeShip story that relates to to this next topic okay so i like CodeShip. i've uh i've used them as my ci solution uh for a while maybe a year and uh i'm a paying customer uh in in spite of being sponsored by them and uh, uh anyhow so i use them uh i think to like a medium degree of complexity. I think people do all sorts of interesting workflow things, and I think a lot of people use it in the most basic way possible. And I'm somewhere in between here and there. But our next topic is about uh, building API documentation, and uh, I won't go into the CodeShip part of the story to begin with. But CodeShip ended up being like a key player in how on a project I'm working on right now. We went about building our API documentation as part of the CI process, which I think is oh, interesting, super great. Yeah. So before I dive into that, tell me about so you work on you work on the API team at GitHub.
0: I right? do. I work on the platform team at GitHub, which uh, includes uh, the API, um, the GitHub API, and our webhooks and services. So anything that um, you know something happens on github.com and uh, we set a notification to chat that that's uh, our team as well. No.
1: Oh, so this is interesting in two ways then, because for one uh, the work you do has sort of API documentation, impl- implications and yep. coach is like the, like one of the, you know, obvious examples of someone that consumes the hell out of the work that you do every day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so t- tell me about your approach uh, either at GitHub or in general, to um, to the problem of how the heck do we document this API in a way that's going to be accurate and clear? Because, you know, sure. I think both of those are big challenges.
0: Yeah. Um, so, I mean, at GitHub, we uh, use a sort of quasi-homebrewed system to document changes. Uh, so we use uh, Nanoc, which is like an old-school oldish school Ruby library that ultimately builds, um, all of these Markdown files with some Ruby sort of included in them, uh, out to HTML. And then we just serve HTML, um, using, uh, GitHub pages. Uh, so it's pretty boring in general. Um, it's open source. And so the cool thing is that there are a lot of cases where, um, you know, just sort of normal GitHub users, uh, can go in and when they see a problem with the docs, they can just go in and it's really simple because they just, you know, pull this repository down, it's Markdown files and they can, you know, make the change themselves and then we'll merge it in. So that's sort of like the first part. The the kind of bummer about that is that it is a completely manual process. When we make a change to an API or if we add a new API, um, those docs aren't automatically generated. Um, and so there's a couple of reasons why that's a bummer. <laughs> the first, the most obvious one, is that it takes human time to document things, uh, I, and so that slows things down quite a bit. Uh, or, or the humans,
1: or the humans don't take time.
0: to document or or, or exactly or it just doesn't get documented Um, i (laughs) can say pretty safely at github that that rarely happens but um only because we also cheat a little bit and we have some great people who only do documentation so um, i do write docs when i create apis so it's not like throw it over the wall situation at all but there's some people who are real professionals at writing these docs and can help you know us software developers really uh get things get it get it a little bit better but i think that we would definitely uh well i don't want to speak for anyone i think i think it would definitely do a service to move to uh, a more automated you know method of uh, documentation i think that it's a lot more difficult if you're not in a greenfield project um but maybe that's not entirely true Uh, just generally speaking i think there's a huge cost up front to move to an automated solution. If you're not deciding, Hey, we're going to build this new thing and let's document it the right way. Let's use this automatic automatic generation tool. Um, so I mean, I, uh, I think though, I will say while I think documenting the sort of ins and outs of, Hey, you know, what parameters can I pass to this API is important. I think, Still, that the biggest problem with most APIs is a lack of architecture um, documentation. Just sort of like, so you want to do this like generally accepted uh, thing with our API. You know, what's the order of the calls? How should you respond through those calls? That is sort of rarely written about, uh, in my opinion. And I think that's the secret sauce to API documentation, um, because you can manually build all your docs, it'll just take a ton of time. But writing that really in-depth, you know, here's a use case, here's how you use our API to do that use case. Um, There's not a ton of people that do that particularly well. So it'd be nice to get rid of that first part of API documentation, which is just the nuts and bolts. (laughs) We can all focus on the, like, You know, apple pie side of, you know, getting everything just right and explaining to everyone that here's how you should architect your, uh, you know, solution against our API. Spend a lot more time on the human side instead of just the please pass this header in order to receive a response from us.
1: So I have an interesting, I I have a good story that exactly sort of illustrates the point you just made that, that happened like i don't know 10 days ago so i'm working on this application that we did what you said which was we sort of went the automated route to build the Mm -hmm. app the documentation at the lowest level now here's what i mean by that we use this this library called rspec api documentation i think okay look for the name while i'm talking uh yeah. R spec underscore API underscore documentation. And the gist of it's pretty simple. It It's like a, I guess a DSL for, uh, describing requests and providing some like metadata about the requests. And then it, uh, runs those as, so it's, it's, you know, it's in our specs, So it's running specs to make sure that what either what you're describing actually works, you know, right. like, like it actually sends what you said and it, you know, receives, um, something that, that, you know, contains what you thought and has the status that you expected, etc. Um, so that's cool. In other words, like that. So therefore, you know, that whatever is documented actually works on whatever system, or, you know, whatever version of the app is being built at the time. And then the second thing it does is it generates the static files too as sort of a byproduct of that process. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we'll get back to this part of the story with CI, but you can imagine, so like step one is you you just run them as specs and say, okay, like, is my API behaving in the way that I expect. And then step two is you say, okay, yes, it is. Now I'm going to generate, um, static files that represent everything. So anyways, we had done that, but what the consumer of the API, so this is like an an application where, uh, one set of people is building the application, but then another set of people completely unrelated to, to, to them, at least in day-to-day work are the ones that are using it, you know? So they're, they're like the consumers of the API, Um, and, uh, what they needed more than, well, I don't know, more than as much as the sort of resource level documentation was exactly what you said, which is like the series of 12 calls that get you from 0.0 to like, I did everything I was trying to do. Um, and what I did, which, which is, uh, kind of a crappy answer to your point is (laughs) I wrote an integration test in Ruby that just like one test that did this probably literally 20 different things that that they needed to do to get from where they started to where they wanted to go. Mm -hmm. But Ruby is so easy to read um, that I just sent the spec. Like I just said, here, here is an example of this Like I like, this is running on staging right now and works and just follow that looking up the individual, uh, documentation for the resources that it references. And, you know, like there are two ways of looking at it. One was they were over the moon. Like I got three emails saying, thank you so much for doing that. Cause that like really saved the day. <laughs> like, otherwise we don't know what the heck to do. Um, but the other way of looking at it is like, really, I actually just emailed the Ruby RSpec spec file and said, you know, follow the, follow the list of comments basically. Really? It's kind of, kind of lousy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know i mean i mean you know i think that it's it, it i think it's really funny because like we spend so much time getting just the the human what am i trying to say getting api documentation uh, in a human format that is ultimately just a repre- representation of what the machine expects You know, it's just like, you know, use these parameters, they should be strings, they should be this long or whatever. But I think that at the end of the day, you know, we're like barely surpassing soap, you know, or like one of the many situations where it's like here, download this thing and load it into your, you know, code editor or your browser or into your, you know, client tool. And we'll just make sure that what you're doing is right. You know, I think that like we haven't come that far in API land, uh, besides, you know, making, uh, API docs like have code side by side to the description of, you know, what it is trying to do. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think that usually the hardest part of the system is gluing together multiple API calls to accomplish like a real world problem. Yep. And so I, th- I vote anything that can make the, you know, Machine representation to human back to machine representation easier is definitely a win. So I think this is an interesting uh, project. I wonder if there is, you know, I'm curious to hear from anyone who maybe have used this uh, in a non green Project because I think that that's where the, the pain maybe is. I guess if you already have really good tests, you know, from the very beginning, your tests are really clear and clean, and adding this in would probably give you a huge win. But I'm curious about the more, say, organic projects.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm actually <laughs> so I'm going to bet against what you said. I think that if you, okay. if you, t- like, if you had the opportunity, to, uh, you maybe you would because RSpec would be easy to drop in just for this purpose. So if you yeah. just dropped in RSpec and used this to describe, you know, an endpoint, uh, and I, I only think this one, I think this one only works on the uh, like the, the standard API, not the the, the webhook side. But I think you'd find it actually. It'd be pretty easy to drop in um, because it's sort of like a, I, I mean, no matter what exists under the hood, I mean, you're ab- above the waterline of your API. It just is an API, right? And that's what this is interacting with. So I don't know. I mean, I, it'd be an interesting thing to test. I think, I think you may find, I think that actually you'd find that part to be fine, but I think that you'd find that, that the project doesn't totally answer the question at least I haven't found that it does yet, although this could be my lack of experience with it, that it doesn't answer the question, how do I sort of document the series of steps and their rationale that, that are required?
0: Yeah, that's yeah. fair.
1: Uh, so here's the code ship story uh, with it. Uh, so here's here like the process that we're using to actually build the documentation on this project, I think is great. So here, here's what we do. You develop right. the... documentation, you know, normally just as, as these specs as part of the project. And then, uh, all you do is, is commit them in and then our CI process will run all the tests, which include the tests related to the documentation, which I still think is the greatest thing ever. And then when they're successful, uh, then let me think about the exact workflow yeah. So at that point, what code does is it runs the, uh, it runs the command to build the um, documentation, the static files, mm-hmm. it then, because those are not built by default for like the developer doesn't have to worry about that at all. And in fact, that whole directory is, is get ignored. So like, you don't even like, we're not dealing with these, you know, all these static files in the repository in general. But what CodeChip does is we have it so that it runs the... Uh, or it, it checks out a, brand, a separate branch and then runs the command to generate all of the static files for the API docs and then force adds them into the repository and then commits that to GitHub on a branch that's like the, you know, including documentation branch. Okay. And then okay. we push that to GitHub and then when that hits GitHub... Then the CI server says, okay, I not only have like a all green project, but I also have all the docs built. And then it takes that and spits it to staging and production, Interesting. which I think is super great.
0: Yeah. 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 No, I think that's definitely the way to do it. If you're going to do it, doing it in your seat, C- like building docs in your CI is definitely the way to go.
1: Yeah. So it was like the combination of like our spec plus GitHub plus code ship. I was yeah, that'd be
0: a really interesting uh, workflow if you have an open source project and you use something like this or you build it, uh, you know, which I'm sure is sort of how a part of this came out with, like, you know, the relish docs and everything or whatever. Um, but, you know, to be able to, say, build, you know, build your docs, commit them to the GitHub pages branch or like whatever branch you choose for that. And then, uh, you know, let those docs be like auto, you know auto served back for GitHub pages for a GitHub pages site for your project or right. whatever, since, you know, that's, that's all sort of baked into, um, yeah, that's really interesting. I like that a lot.
1: Yeah. Like I don't, I don't generally, I generally don't like nail those DevOpsy sort of things. So I was pretty proud of this one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was like,
1: well, this one's good.
0: <laughs> it only takes one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I've got a string of like 80 examples of Poor execution on this particular topic, but <laughs> but one recent one that's really good. <laughs>
0: so, Perfect,
1: I'll take it. Yeah, all right. So anyhow, let's uh, recap that topic. So spec API documentation to take a look, and then check out CodeShip on. Like I think that it'd be easy to use CodeShip and have no idea that it, that would be very easy to do.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I use CodeShip a ton, and I love it.
1: So anyhow. Uh, so we're about 50 minutes in, I think we've got time for our open source contribution notes before we, uh, call it a night. What do you think? Okay. Awesome. All right. You go first.
0: Uh, yeah. So, uh, what I've been working on, um, which is a pretty small change, but still pretty awesome is, uh, um, updating a package. Uh, for adam so if you go to github.com slash adam slash open dash on dash github um, this package is auto shipped with um, adam i believe and it allows you to basically you know look at any selection or any line and open it on a github website or open up to blame or to history or anything like that so in my workflow the main thing i do is uh, at github when we write uh, pull requests or pull request comments we frequently reference code and one of the things that is uh, sort of a problem that is if you reference code using the branch then as that using the branch name as part of the URL which is sort of the automatic way if you're using the github.com you know site Uh, whenever you go to that URL in the future chances are if you're looking at specific lines those lines will have moved because you're referencing a branch instead of the actual SHA and so a little trick if you didn't know about this is when you're on any um file on GitHub.com, you could press the Y key, and it'll change the URL to the SHA-based version of the URL. And so generally speaking, we try to use that as much as we can. So that way, when people are reading back through the pull request or the issues, you're looking at exactly what we saw at that moment in time. And so I'm trying to update that package um, to use that SHA-based representation of the URL instead of using branch name um so instead of it being sort of uh, through a reference we're gonna look at the uh, that exact version that one snapshot in time uh, anytime i paste that uh, url to someone else and so um luckily i can cheat a little bit and work on that and um you know, the maintainers also work at the same company that I do. <laughs> right. And so I can be like, hey, is this look good or what changes need to be done? And so uh, luckily the Daniel who's on the Atom team um, has been sort of working with me to hopefully change the default functionality of that. But um, again, that's a really small change and really my first true foray into Atom's packaging uh, besides just sort of hacking on things that never ship. Um, and so it's it was pretty fun to just sort of jump in there. Um, there's a bunch of those types of packages uh, that ship with Adam and so I would recommend if any of that stuff bugs you and it's in the Atom org on GitHub.com, uh, just submit a pull request and, and make the change that you want, or at least suggest the change, and then people can come in and comment and, and, and make you know make their make their point known. Uh, so hopefully that'll get merged this week, and then it'll go out with the next, I think the next version of Adam since it's part of the core project. But yeah, it's a very small change, I think, but still, I think it's going to improve my life a ton uh even though it's probably like you know 10 lines of code or something
1: yeah but 10 lines of of coffee script when you don't generally write uh coffee script for sort of public consumption that's a that's like a 500 lines of ruby code maybe i had you on mute (laughs) <laughs> I said the most unbelievably insightful thing and it, I was going to say <laughs> it's lost <laughs> crickets. <laughs> we we'll just put s- yeah. four seconds of crickets in. So, uh, 10 lines of, i saying 10 lines of coffee script code is like the equivalent of, you know, 200 lines of Ruby code though.
0: Yeah. I was going to say it's at least 200 lines. So,
1: yeah. Well, I think that that, the thing I like about that, uh, contribution aside that, uh, from the fact that it relates directly to our, uh, first topic is that, uh, it's really like a practical fix to something that absolutely everyone should care about. Um, so I like it a lot.
0: Yeah. I'm all for, I mean, I'm not a huge, um, open source contributor, you know, I, I don't, I don't, think I have a ton of time to really shepherd an entire project across the finish line. And so most of my contributions are these are very sniper style, you know, this thing bugs me or this is an actual bug and here I fixed it, you know, and then I submit the PR. And so most of my open source is sort of spread out over a ton of different projects instead of me really diving into a single one.
1: Yeah, I think that, I mean, one's approach to open source... Uh... My take is that as long as your first instinct when you see something in a project you use is to say, can I help? Like, like can I help yeah. fix this thing that I just had a thought about? As long as that's your instinct and like you, you make motions in that direction, that that's what I hope for people to do. You know, that, that's much more important than someone writing the next RSpec.
0: Yeah, but I think that I do think, too, though, that... Um the, the project does have a big say in that, you know, if the documentation is clear, if it says like the how and the why you mm-hmm. should, uh, you know, go about making the changes that you want to make, uh, it makes a big difference because it allows someone like me or honestly, someone who doesn't have a ton of programming experience to hop into a project and make a small change, you know, and, and be received in a gracious manner, even if the change will never get merged, you know, that that's a huge difference compared to projects that really want a few big contributors, uh, you know, that mainly are going to focus on that project or at least, you know, really going to dive in on that project. Uh, And so I think it's interesting, too, to see, you know, how a project's documented are there scripts that can automatically bootstrap your environment? Like things like that go a long way into allowing me or, you know, other people who prefer to just hop around and make that one quick change, uh, you know, to actually get that change in instead of just maybe opening an issue or doing nothing or just going to complain on Twitter or whatever. Right. Um,
1: yeah, and I, I think you said the key things. So one, is it easy to get the environment set up to that should be yes for most things, but anyhow, so that's one, two is the test suite. Good. Um, and like currently passing and like everyone counts on it. And three are the people not jerks. Like, (laughs) right. (laughs) If those three things are true, then, you know, it's pretty easy to get contributions and man, it helps a lot. If any of those three break though, yikes. Yeah. Not so good.
0: You're totally right.
1: All right. I had two interesting contributions this past uh, week or two. Um, So the first one I thought was fun because I fixed it on leap second day and it related to time zones completely coincidentally, but (laughs) you know, I felt like it was a good, uh, I don't know. (laughs) It was symbolic. Um, so have you ever used the gem ice cube, like ice underscore cube?
0: I don't think so. Is it like time cop?
1: Uh, maybe no. So time cop is like, like monkey patching time. (laughs) like it's monkey patching time for testing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's time cop ice cube is, uh, Oh, uh, like a way to describe schedules. Uh,
0: oh, okay. okay.
1: Yeah. Super, super helpful. So like, if you have anything that where, where you need the ability to define, like take user input and have it represent sort of the parameters for some sort of recurring schedule. And then on that schedule, do something. Ice cube is a super, super helpful library that like makes that easy. So one of its features is that it, um, it, it reads from and writes to iCal, which is also super cool because there are a bunch of libraries that do that too. So like there are JavaScript libraries that'll have like a nice, you know, recurrence definition wizard or little widget and then spits out, ICAL, right, as it's like serialization format, I guess. And then you can read from that or write to that as your like serialization format, um, which is which is awesome. Like I think it's a great feature. It's exactly what you need if you if you're dealing with this sort of thing. But it had a bug related to uh time zones shocker, uh, which is like if if the if the iCal schedule had inside of it um, times that were defined in a time zone, it w- it, w- it wouldn't pick it up. It like you know thought it was UTC and then screwed it up from there. So I fixed that bug, which was pretty proud of. Awesome. I love bugs like that where it's it's you know eighty percent of the work was figuring out what the hell was wrong.
0: Right, right. right.
1: You know, like I had no idea how this works. I'm like, wow, why is this? You know, why why are my schedules all wrong? And what the hell is iCal? And Oh. <laughs> but I knew what iCal was, but I didn't know much about the format. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and the format looks like something out of like a 1978 textbook it's or awesome. something.
0: It's like a telegram. It is.
1: <laughs> it's a, it's like, a much month, better. June, d-
0: stop. <laughs> <laughs> it is.
1: It's a better description Thirdly than I would have stop. come up with.
0: <laughs>
1: so, uh, uh, so anyways, I fixed that one. And then in the process of that, I, I ran the test suite and it had a, uh, failing test even though when i looked at like the travis build from the most recent uh, or from like you know the master branch um it, it was passing right so i was like what the heck well turned out that uh there was a time zone bug in the test themselves that was revealed cuz i'm in a different time zone than the guy that that wrote the test yeah. or that the primary maintainer so my two for one is that i not only fixed uh that sort of ical bug in the actual library but then fixed a time zone bug in the specs themselves
0: you ever notice so this might i don't know this happens a lot at github but like you ever had a situation where like depending on what time of day you're running the test right it fails because like (laughs) in that magical window where it crosses over
1: yes It
0: happens a fair amount of time because, like, East Coast people work, you know, during the morning and then the West Coast people work a lot later. And so, like, you know, if you're one of those sad West Coast people who are, like, working at, you know, 9 p.m. Eastern or something like that, you get to deal with all the, like, random, you know, billing code or, like, whatever code is in your app that has to do with time all breaks once, you know, UTC crosses over or whatever. Exactly. Um, or if your app is unfortunate enough to have a custom time zone built in as default, then you really get to you know just really relish in. Does, does anyone better. does anyone do that? Uh, you know, I don't think it's recommended anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but I,
1: I, kind of feel like that's maybe. like the default scope of time zone or of time like management. Like yeah, you, you it, shouldn't it, use it, default scopes, and you shouldn't set a time zone. In your yeah,
0: app. but you know, but if you've made some bad choices, then maybe you're stuck <laughs> with those bad choices until you die. <laughs> right. You also it's shouldn't like get a, a bad tattoo.
1: Tattoo in your face. Yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly. Like you could fix it, but it's going to be even more painful than the original problem.
1: <laughs> my like, uh, my superstition about that is that I try to never have the time zone that is that a test is in be the time zone that I am in. Like it's unclear if this actually solves some subset of the problems, but I think it does. Like in that, like I'm like, okay, if it's possible that like my system's time zone could leak in here, I'm I'm totally there's no reason it should, but I'm like I'm gonna always set it in some other weird place just so that that couldn't be it, right? Um, Which probably doesn't matter, but
0: but it makes you feel better.
1: It, oh, it definitely right. <laughs> does. Yeah.
0: See, there you go.
1: So my second open source contribution, I'm proud of this one, which is why I'm going to mention it, is I I finished getting polymorphic support into JSON API resources. I uh, know. Uh, no. Well, I didn't start it. So someone else wrote the initial implementation. You know, I'm going to... There's a possibility that the guy that wrote it may be like... Like, I could imagine a world where he'd find the the following offensive, but I don't think he will. So the guy that wrote the initial stab at um, polymorphic support for JSON API resources, like, really didn't exactly know what he was doing. Like, and I don't mean that he does not know how to program him. He's a fine programmer, I think. But he hadn't worked in... um, he hadn't worked on JC, JSON API resources before, and I don't think he had submitted much code to any open source project ever, right? Sure. So he's, like, in deep on two fronts. Um, but he needed that feature. And, like, if you need it, you need it. So the idea is if you've <laughs> got, like, a polymorphic um, has one relationship is what he needed, right? So, like, something yeah. like, you know, imageable or whatever. And then you need to, uh, you need to update it. Uh, JSON API resources. One of the main gaps that it still had was this because it, it was a little bit of a pain to get in, and so he needed it. And I think was a bit of a, up a creek, and decided that he was going to get it in. And you know, like it wasn't the it wasn't the best code in the world, and it kind of missed some big things. Like he just needed the reading side, not the updating side. So he just mm-hmm. put in the part that he needed, but. Yeah, yeah. And he didn't handle the read side of has many and, you know, et cetera, frankly. But, uh, I, I really admired him. Like, and I felt like the project, it really showed that the project's going in the right place where a guy like him, who's new to the project and somewhat new to open source felt like permission to give it a shot, you know, like to, to do, to, to see if he could get it in. And then I'm more familiar with the project. So I took his pull request and then built on top of it to finish out the feature because I needed sure. it, needed it too. And he was yeah. cool. He was like, oh, man, thank you. This is good because we you know, kind of need this done. And I was happy because he had done the initial legwork to actually figure out where the heck you even need to look to get this feature in. And uh, it got merged today. So I was pretty pretty happy about it.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I always I always love when there's like either my old PR or like a PR that I have like halfway across but, you know, either gave up or didn't know the answer or whatever. Uh, you know, having someone come in that's just like, oh here, let me finish this other half for you with the half that like I know uh you know the most about. I love that stuff.
1: Yeah, and I mean I like I care so much about not to be sound cheesy, but like I care about the because I'm pretty involved in this project. I care about it being a project that that people feel comfortable in right that like someone would sure. feel like they could come and try to help and that we'd be completely thankful and like work with them and and it, so it just felt so good that someone would would take a crack at something that was a little bit tricky um yeah yeah really good i am now number number two on that project
0: Whoa! Look you got, at me, gunning for the top spot now. No, <laughs>
1: not at all. Like,
0: <laughs>
1: well, one, like, no. Two, uh, number one is uh, 385 commits. I'm 50, so it's not really that close. It's like an order of magnitude. <laughs> and Larry Gebhardt, the guy that's number one. I mean, he's he's basically written the whole thing.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. I just I help out, help out. You know. Basically, I've got a big project that's on it. I decided back on when JSON API was on RC two that I was was betting on it, and and decided therefore I'd bet on this as my like Rails related project to make it easier. So since I've got a decent sized project on it, anytime I come up come across anything that is broken or missing, I just do it. So, uh, but but that's nothing compared to what he's done, which is like you know push the whole thing for yeah, a year, it. a year and a half or whatever. So, <laughs> right. So anyways, that was my open source week this week.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I'm hoping that, uh, this can keep going on a regular tilt and maybe hear what uh, some other people are doing. If, if any of the stuff that we're working on, uh, inspires folks to go out and do something small yeah. or big, you know, write a whole library maybe, but you know, all stuff is cool too. Yeah, I mean,
1: I, so I'll just appeal directly if whoever is listening, I don't care where you are in your development, um, sort of experience. And a lot of people that listen, I'd say are beginners to intermediates or maybe, maybe like early intermediate, um, like just give it a shot. You'll, you'll feel good about it and everyone else will appreciate it too. So
0: definitely.
1: Well, that's our episode. Um, what do you think about this format?
0: I loved it last week, and I love it this week.
1: <laughs> well, we kind of, we kind of did it. We kind of did it this week. I think the whole we way. Did do it. <laughs> uh, I think. Yeah, no, it, I, I it. think it's good.
0: Yeah, and I love to hear. Uh, you know, if there are more topics that people would like to, uh, you know, hear about or dive into, I think it'll be. I think it'll be good. Bring oh, yeah. some subject matter experts in every once in a while.
1: <laughs> yeah, good point. So uh, here's our method. So we have a Slack uh, channel, which is. Kyle and I talking, and we are pasting in possible show topics during the week, right? Just like paste the link in or whatever. So, if anyone has a topic that you're interested in us covering, just tweet at us, either one of us or or the show for that matter, uh, and we'll just add it into the Slack channel. And if it's uh, you know seems interesting and and timely, then we'll uh, we'll cover it. What would you think of that uh, uh, U.S. Women's World Cup victory
0: tonight? You know, it was pretty great to watch. Um, right? A little anticlimactic at some points, but the, it was fun to watch. And they, uh, they kept playing hard through the whole game, which was awesome. I just like watching women's soccer. It, uh, I'm not a huge soccer or football fan, but, man, it's uh, – I it's like living in connecticut you know we watch or i watch uh the women's uh basketball uconn women's basketball a lot and they just are so much more fun to watch than the guys in my humble opinion and so i i just love watching the game just because they just kept fighting it out through the whole end and there was a very small degree of shenanigan uh you know going on right <laughs> it was very much just athleticism and That pretty was that
1: pretty darn good soccer i thought too
0: yeah,
1: definitely. Um, you know, during the the tournament, I've been practicing. So I've got, you know, I've got twin girls on the way and and have been practicing sort of being authentically into women's sports. <laughs> like, really? Because I'm like, okay, I watch a lot of sports. And it, it wouldn't, uh, I'm sure that that um, if they have any interest whatsoever in sports, they will, you know, they will come along for that, right? Yeah. And, uh, so I, but I, but I don't want it to be all guy sports. That seems awful. And unlike what you just said, I, I love basketball and really don't love women's basketball as much. Honestly, like I don't like, I like basketball enough that I'll watch whatever. So like I'll watch it and I'll enjoy it, but, uh, I don't like it as much as the NBA. Just like, I don't like men's college basketball as much as the NBA. Uh, but women's soccer, I, I love, like, I think it's fun to watch. Um, and with no asterisk not like fun to watch but i'd rather watch the men i either one's fine and in fact i think i liked watching the women a lot more than the men so us yeah. usa
0: yeah fourth of july weekend too pretty apropos
1: yeah exactly all right well let's uh, let's wrap it up with uh, reminders of where everyone can reach reach us
0: yeah, so I'm uh, KDagle on Twitter and GitHub, and uh, you can reach me via email at kdagle at github.com.
1: All right. I'm barely known on uh, Twitter and GitHub also, and uh, you cannot reach me at github.com, but either of those <laughs> are, are fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, all right, that, that, that's a wrap for episode 192. Thanks.
0: Awesome. Adios.